Coming up on the Rami Love V podcast, I was at Madison Square Garden as the Knicks win in game five. They had a really frustrating game four prior to that. We talk about Jalen Brunson and what he did. We also talked about Julius Randle and what he did. We talked about the NFL. We talked about the rest of the NBA playoffs and a whole lot more on the Rami Love V podcast next. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 149. Yeah, I've done that many of these. Pretty crazy, but uh, I keep doing them because people listen and I appreciate it. And so uh, it's thanks to every single person who's listening and all that stuff that uh, I'm able to do this. So I appreciate you all. If you're listening right now, I appreciate you uh, more than you know, and hopefully I'll keep doing this. So... This is going to be an interesting one because I didn't record after the Knicks' terrible loss in Game 4, and then I was at Game 5, and now here we are talking about a potential Game 6 and everything that's happened, so a lot has happened. But what I keep talking about in these playoffs is how quickly things change, how quickly things go from one thing to another, and everything flips on itself, and all of a sudden you're like, this is what happened, and then the next moment it's like, oh, this is actually what happened. What do I mean by that? Well, two episodes ago, I was like, can this Phoenix Suns, can that star duo really keep it up? And I was like, no way. There's no way they could keep up this pace. And then the very next episode, they're like, oh yeah, we can keep up this pace. We're going to go off for 80 points combined, three games in a row. And then after the last two nights, it's like, well, no, they can't keep up this pace. Well, of course that was unsustainable. Okay. Um, so that's, that's what I mean by all this in these playoff series is, but we've seen some crazy things so far in these uh, in these Knicks playoffs and specifically with the Knicks, but with many other teams. But I'm a Knicks fan. I want to talk about the Knicks. I want to start with the Knicks. First of all, I'm glad I didn't talk after game four because I was upset. I was emotional. I would have said some things that maybe I would would regret. Um, when I do love this team, I appreciate how far this team has come. I What they did in game five was awesome. Um, and I'm glad I went. And game six so I want them to win hell yeah I right now I'm rejuvenated I feel like they could come back and win this series where I wasn't feeling that way after game four that's for sure um but right now uh I just want to talk about my experience because I feel like that's something unique I was there I was in the building I get to talk about that like 
being at Madison Square Garden for a Knicks playoff game, a second round Knicks playoff game, something that's only happened twice in the last 22 years. I'd say that's a pretty unique experience, so I want to bring that to the table, obviously. Um, first of all, on my way, I met Frank the Tank for the first time in person. I know he's been on the podcast, so if you've been following this podcast since day one, you've heard the episode with uh, Frank the Tank Fleming on it. It was an interesting episode, to say the least. I mean, it's Frank the Tank, but I saw him at the New Jersey Transit of all places, which is, if you know Frank the Tank from Barstool, um, he first became known and famous at the uh, New Jersey Transit yelling on TV about the New Jersey Transit and how he missed the first pitch at the Mets game. And that's how he ended up at Barstool and a little bit at MLB Network, too, talking about the Mets and talking about New Jersey Transit. Huge baseball fan, obviously. Um, I saw him. I said, hey, Frank. And he kind of seemed depressed. So uh, he didn't say much back. But then later that night, it all came full circle because I was sitting on a delayed New Jersey Transit train waiting to head back home. So uh, full circle there story for me. Um What's interesting is the first thing I thought of after, or I guess while I was at the game, was the 2021 Knicks. The 2021 Knicks, I kind of had the same thought where I was like, I don't want that. I don't think they'll win the series down 3 1 because it went the same way, right? The Knicks won. They lost game one in a close game, and then they won game two at home in a close game, and then they lost two games that felt demoralizing in Atlanta. The same thing happened this year. They lose a close game at home game one win a close game game two at home and then lose two demoralizing losses which we'll get to soon um in miami in games three and four so the same thing happens you come home for game five and it's like what are you supposed to expect from this team in game five and in 21 they folded they went down early and it was just like this team you don't think they have a run in them and i remember saying on an, an episode of the podcast around that time i said I'm not asking for anything crazy. I just want one game. I just want one last enjoyment from that team at Madison Square Garden. Well, this year's team, I kind of had a different way of looking at it. Of course, I was frustrated by what happened in games three and four, but we had five playoff games already, great ones in the first round. They advanced to the second round. It feels like they're building for the future. There's a different vibe around this team. But it still would have felt like a mighty disappointment if they folded in Game 5. And early on in Game 5, it felt like that could have easily happened. They just could have thrown in the towel and lost all hope. They're down 10. They score only 14 points in the first quarter. They're down 24 to 14. And it's like, that's it. This season is over. They folded. They gave up. They're showing no heart, no effort. And then the minutes to start the third quarter, R.J. Barrett, or the second quarter, rather, R.J. Barrett, um, Obi Toppin, obviously Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes. It was just so special. And I'll break it down in a minute because when you think about sports in general and what I do for my living and what I do on this podcast and what I put myself through and what all of us as sports fans put ourselves through from an emotional perspective on a daily basis, if we're diehard fans and we watch sports every day, or sometimes it's three days a week, whatever it is, 90% of the time, it's disappointment. And guess what? Whether Even if it's not disappointment, it all ends in disappointment. Think about the New York Yankees. The Yankees make the playoffs. They're one of the best teams in the league every single year. And other than 2009, has it ever ended in the last 25 years in something remotely happy, remotely positive? Well, 25 is a little too long, but 22, 22 years. Look, since I can really fully comprehend and be a huge sports fan, the only championship of my four teams that I've experienced and really appreciated because I was three in 2000 when the Yankees won the World Series, the only championship I really experienced and appreciated 
was the 2009 Yankees championship, and I loved it. It was great. Godzilla, Rivera, the old guys with the new guys, CeCe and Teixeira, and obviously Jeter, Pettit, Posada. Yeah, it was awesome. A-Rod had an incredible run for one playoffs. Robinson Cano was young and up and coming. Nick Swisher was fun. A.J. Burnett was fun. That was awesome. You got the championship. But at the end of the day, we put ourselves through all this. We put ourselves through this emotional trauma that we attach ourselves. And it's what I started the podcast with, which why, you know, we're so up and down with both our takes. And it's why it makes my job easier, right? I get to have sports takes every day because I could come in today and talk about how awesome Jason Tatum looked. And then he'll have a terrible game seven. And I'll talk about how terrible he was in game seven. Where if I started recording this podcast at the beginning of the fourth quarter after three quarters of the basketball game, I would have told you how bad Jason Tatum was, right? So it's back and forth and back and forth. And we can talk about how awesome Embiid was in game five and how awesome Harden was in game four and how terrible they were tonight and all the different things and the coaching adjustments that Doc Rivers made one night and he didn't make the adjustments the following night because it changes. It's constantly changing. It's constantly moving. And it's these mood swings. These I talked about it last episode, just the pendulum swing back and forth and back and forth. And you're getting pulled in all these different directions. But at the end of the day, most of the time, if you're a sports fan, it's going to end in disappointment because your team mostly doesn't win. Very few teams win. There's one team in each sport. There's four champions a year, right? That's how it goes. And that's why I said to myself before game five, you have to be there. This isn't like the 2021 team. This team fights. This team is not going to fold. And you have to be in the building to experience it. You have to be there because I said this win or loss, I want to be there. If they lose, then it's the last game of one of the most magical seasons that the Knicks have had in my lifetime. Only the second time they made it to the second round in the last 20 years. And I think this is the more special team because when you think back to the 13 team, that was a two seed that had all the talent. They had a true superstar. This was a team that was built on heart, that was built on grit, that was built on a guy like Jalen Brunson, an underdog, an undersized guy right? And a five seed winning in five games in the first round and fighting to get to the second round against this other Miami Heat team. That's also a gritty team. So I said, if that's the last game of the season and they were going to lose in game five, I want to be there at the end to stand up and cheer and celebrate this team. Would it be frustrating? Would it hurt in the moment? Of course it would, but that's what you experience most of the time anyway. And if they win, especially if it's their last win, It's either the start of something special if they win, the start of a comeback that they win the series in, or it's the last win of the season or one of the last wins of the season that you get to experience in person, the last win of the season at Madison Square Garden, and you get to be there and you get to experience that magic. So of course I was going to go one way or another. And what's funny is as I was listening to Carton and Roberts, as I always do, I had my AirPods, I was sitting in the arena, actually listening before the game started, listening to... Uh, the last few minutes of the Carton and Roberts show on WFAN in the afternoon, on Wednesday afternoon. And I listened to Craig. He was talking about how, what would you rather? Would you rather your team wins a championship, right? You have four teams. You have two, four of your favorite teams. So, for example, the New York Rangers win a championship, but the Yankees, the Knicks, and the Jets all miss the playoffs that year. Or all four of them make it to the final game of the season, game seven of the championship for the Knicks, game seven of the World Series for the Yankees, the Super Bowl for the Jets, game seven of the Stanley Cup final for the Rangers, but they all lose, but it's all that one season. Which would you take? And Craig and Chris McMonagle, the board op, both said that they would take the one championship and the four other losing teams, losing seasons. 
And I agree with Craig. Craig said he takes the journey. He take because that's what this is all about. This is entertainment. We're there to enjoy this. We're there to be entertained. We're there to, I don't know, think about, talk about something else that's not happening in our lives because life is serious enough as it is and everyone's got stuff going on as it is. And the journey part of it, the entertainment part of it is the whole thing. Rarely ever does it ever end in a championship anyway. And I never get the other stuff anyway. I don't get the consolation prize of I got the journey. I got the ride. The ride last year with the Rangers, that was one of the most special six weeks of my life where every other night I was watching a team that I genuinely loved. And I don't think I've gotten to that point yet with this Knicks team, but it's probably the most special, most most loved team Knicks team I've had of my lifetime. And I enjoy, I just love watching them. I love the different moments that this team has had. And there's parts that are frustrating about it, but that's part of it. Because every other night with the Rangers, especially, think about that. Every series other than the last one went to game seven. Every other game, I was like, oh my God, another devastating loss. And they would come back and win again. And even in that last game, when they went down, they showed all that fight, right? Talked about that with the Vetrano goal. So all these things, it's sports. This is what it's about. It's part of life. It's part of sports is the journey, is the moments of it. So being there in that building for the moment was just special and something that I'll never forget. It was such a, just an awesome, amazing experience. Um, so let's talk about game five, what happened in the game to me, the positive and the ultimate thing that changes everything from this game was Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes. Those two guys were so special. They were the story of the game. They each play 48 minutes. They play the entire game. What Jalen Brunson did in the game on Wednesday night, he had 38 points, seven assists, eight rebounds, and only one turnover. He also only committed two fouls, which both occurred late in the game. One was a questionable call, and one he was diving for a loose ball and grabbed at Jimmy Butler's arm. He played the entire 48 minutes, was being attacked on the defensive side every time, right? They're they're going at him on defense. They're putting him in every pick and roll, trying to get him involved in the action and trying to go at him on defense as they've done the entire series. He's getting picked up in full court the entire game. They're doubling him. They're trying to hit him as much as they can. And yet through all of it, a little guy, a little guy was getting picked on, shoved around. He muscled through. He played the entire game and scored 38 points. It seemed like every time they needed a big bucket, he was there to score. It had seven assists. He knocked down four threes. He also grabbed eight boards. He only turned the ball over once. This is the most incredible Knicks playoff performance I have seen in my lifetime. That performance was special for a guy his size, for a guy who just put the team on his back on both sides. He didn't stop fighting on the defensive end. He was into it the entire time, his energy the entire time. 48 straight minutes of getting beat up by guys like Kyle Lowry and Gabe Vincent and Jimmy Butler and getting run into hard screens and mostly illegal screens by Bam Adebayo. And he didn't stop fighting. He didn't stop moving. And ev- like he gave it his all. He le- left it all out there. If they would have lost that game, he could go home and say, I'm a winner. I'm a champion because I did everything I needed to do. This guy is underpaid. And to remind you, the guy who people talked about his contract being too much, four years, $104 million for Jalen Brunson. Well, Jordan Poole, and while I know that Jordan Poole's approval rating is at an all-time low right now at this point in his career, but he's making $128 million over four years, $24 million more than Jalen Brunson's contract. So tell me again, Jalen Brunson is the most underrated, underappreciated, underpaid player in the NBA. This is a guy, he didn't make a single all-star team. 
He didn't make a single all NBA team. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Cause I do have something I want to say about that. Cause I got, got into an argument with someone on Twitter about that. And we'll talk about the, you know, that whole thing a little bit later, but this guy is the most important acquisition. Then this is not hyperbole. This guy has been the most important acquisition. The New York Knicks have made since Carmelo Anthony, since Amari Stoudemire, and maybe even more than them, what he did in this game was special. And it will be remembered, by the way, whether they win or lose this series. I just hope that this game is remembered as one of the all-time incredible Knicks playoff performances because it truly was. Every time it felt like they were going to come back, the Heat were getting back into the game. He did something special. He did something else. And that was something that he means what, I mean, you just can't say it enough. And after the game, Jalen Brunson himself says, hey, it was a good game. It was a win we had to have, but it doesn't mean anything if we don't win the next one. If we don't win the next two. He's all about winning. He's all about the next one. He never makes it about himself. He doesn't even care. And I just can't say it enough. Everyone who watched that game, and I was lucky enough to be in the building for that game, appreciate what an incredible performance that was. What a rare performance that was. The fact that he was the one dribbling it out and he dribbles straight up to... Uh, Starks afterwards like that's just so cool that stuff is awesome and this entire building realizing in one night how special this guy is and I think you've realized in this series that if you've learned anything from this season anything from this team from this playoff run it's that this guy is the guy that can be the cornerstone could be your number one superstar or alongside another superstar can be the guy on a championship team for this Knicks franchise. And it's so special to finally realize that you have that guy. And I think in game five, he finally proved that he is that guy. The other guy I mentioned, Quentin Grimes. So he starts, right? Obviously, because they need more shooting. Um, we talked about this um, but before game four, that he needed to be the starter. And he started game four also, but he starts game five. And immediately Barrett picks up two fouls. Josh Hart picks up three, and Grimes also picks up two early fouls. He's defending Jimmy Butler the entire game, and he's going one-on-one with Jimmy Butler. He stayed in the game despite having two fouls, played all 48 minutes. He had eight points. He hit a couple of huge threes to start the second quarter, part of that huge run. He had five assists. He had four rebounds, two blocks, and two steals. He was hustling on the defensive end the entire game. And the one possession that epitomized his entire game, everything he did. And I immediately, um, I I recorded myself talking. I have a voice memo of myself at the game at Madison Square Garden saying, okay, remember this possession. And then everyone's been tweeting this possession since. I tweeted out also that that was the most impressive possession by Grimes. It was the most impressive possession of the game. The Heat are cutting into the lead. It's 90 seconds to go in the game. Grimes takes a huge screen where another time that Bam Adebayo sticks his leg out and trips a guy, he hits him in the shin, and Grimes is hurt. He's down behind the play near midcourt, and Jimmy Butler is dribbling, and Grimes, instead of just laying there, he gets up, he runs back into the play, picks up Butler again, and then strips him of the ball as Butler goes to make his move, and the Knicks start to go the other way. That was one of the most incredible plays. That was the most important possession of the game, and was the possession that showed you how important Quentin Grimes is the grit the heart the hustle he never quits and that that's all you want to see as a Knicks fan it's all Knicks fans ever want to see is non-stop hustles never giving up on a play never giving up on a possession 
always just fighting, 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 never, never stopping, never to the end. I heard, I think it was Brendan Tierney talking about this on the radio today. He was saying, we want someone who mirrors us. We deal with a lot of crap as New Yorkers. This is what he was saying. He's like, you deal with, you deal with traffic, you deal with the subway system, you deal with rats, you deal with how much things cost, how much the cost of living. The New York City is just grit, right? New Yorkers want to see grit. And that possession was grit. That possession was what every single New Yorker wants to see. And they saw it from Quentin Grimes for 48 minutes. They saw it from Jalen Brunson for 48 minutes. Jimmy Butler, this was the first time all postseason, right? So he had the two playing games. He has five games against the Bucks, And now in his 12th postseason game this year, this is the first time he scored under 25 points in a game. He scored only 19 in this game, game five against the Knicks. And it wasn't like, I don't know, maybe he wasn't fully pedaled to the metal the whole time. Maybe he's like, yeah, I'll just go back to Miami and win in six. We have a game to play with here. I don't think anyone, any head coach or player or team ever truly thinks that way. I mean, they obviously wanted to win this game. They were hacking Mitchell Robinson the whole way down the stretch of the game, for God's sake. You think they were just trying to lose this game? No. They started hacking Mitchell Robinson with about seven minutes to go in the game. So clearly, this was part of the game plan. They were trying hard to win. And yet he only has 19 points. Grimes was a pest on him. Grimes was smaller than him. Grimes was run, getting run into these tough, mostly illegal screens. It didn't matter. And also, it's not just about him hitting the threes on the offensive end. Yeah, he hits the threes. That's that's important. But he opens up everything. You could see all these breakdowns on social media that people have posted and have done a really great job of posting. But when he stands in the corner or when he moves and when he cuts... It makes the second defender not be able to go pick up. How many lanes to the basket did Jalen Brunson have because Quentin Grimes is out there? How many lanes to the basket? How many times was R.J. Barrett able to get to the basket and able to make a second man come to him because there wasn't somebody else to help out off the corner, off the three-point shooter because Quentin Grimes is out there? Same with Julius Randle. Even when he's in his ISO, they can't send the second man as hard if Quentin Grimes is out there. All these different things that Quentin Grimes does on the offensive end, even if he's not scoring. Only eight points doesn't sound like a lot, but five assists. He was making plays for his teammates. The ball was constantly moving. It was never sticky in his hands. And finally, he looks confident out there. I talked about his hesitancy and playing a little hot potato with the ball after game two, I think it was. He didn't have that here in game five. It's like he's finally comfortable. He feels himself in the series. And he understands that he has to be out there for 48 minutes. I think that shows you that the coach trusts him. Now, obviously, the guy that was sitting was Josh Hart. And not every matchup is a good matchup in the playoffs. We've seen this a lot of times before where guys are just, it's a bad matchup for them in certain playoff series. So for Josh Hart, this is not a great matchup for him. So he sat, so he didn't play. It doesn't take anything away from Josh Hart. It doesn't make him a worse player. But Miami was sacking off him by 30 feet. He's afraid to shoot when he's out there. It's obviously gotten in his head. If the Knicks make it to the next round, I'm sure he'll be a huge part of that round. And I'm sure there's a role for him to play still in this series. If if the right, Maybe it's for Julius Randle. Who knows? I think the Knicks still need Julius' scoring out there. I think that does a lot for them. But we'll talk about Julius in a second. And if there continues to be no effort from him on the defensive end of the floor or the rebounding end of the floor or when he doesn't have the ball on offense then maybe you do put Josh Hart in that spot and you have Hart and Grimes and Barrett all on the floor at the same time. Who knows? But in game five, it was Quentin Grimes and it was just special. And look, you'll live with guys around Jimmy Butler attempting and making threes. Like I said this at one point in the game, they were shooting 16% the heat were from three. And then all of a sudden they start hitting their threes at the end. 
it's okay if they hit their threes. You just can't let them get consistent, easy buckets from Jimmy Butler making plays. And because of Quentin Grimes, how many times does his hand go in the lane and tip deflect passes and stuff like that? Emmanuel quickly does a great job of that also. But Grimes, his awareness, his hustle, his his grinding through every possession, pushing through and running around. It was just awesome to watch out there for 48 minutes. Him and Jalen Brunson just put together one of the most special performances that a duo has put up in a long time. Uh, as, as a Knicks fan watching that, that was just incredibly special to watch. Uh, now, the question is what to do with Julius Randle. Um, this is what I talked about briefly a second ago. You might have to bench him, and here's why. Julius, the effort's just not there. It's I, I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it, but game three, game four, and now game five, really the first half of game five, and we'll talk about game five a little bit more, but game three and game four. I don't understand it. These are playoff games. These are games that are must win, especially game four. You don't want to go home down 3-1, and it's just not there. He was 8 for 13 from the floor. That's fine. He's shooting fine. 20 points, who cares? Nine rebounds, three assists, doesn't matter. There's no effort. He's letting guys go back door on him. He's not going hard. He's dragging his feet on defense and transition. He's just walking up the court. He's not getting back on D. He's constantly just pointing and taking the path of really least resistance. Half the time he's playing a zone while the rest of the team is playing man. It looks like on defense, the very first possession of game five, he loses Kevin Love on a basic backdoor cut off of a screen. What are you doing? It's like he doesn't want to step up because he might have to take two extra steps the other way. He's so unengaged. He's so disinterested. I've never seen anything like it from a player, player in a playoff series. Like, it doesn't even matter. And this is not the guy we've seen all year. The arc with Julius Randle going from what he was two years ago to his terrible playoffs to last year him booing the crowd because of efforts like this. Look, Knicks fans, New Yorkers is what I just talked about. You could shoot three of 20 every single game. But if you give effort, if you dive on the floor for loose balls, if you hustle, if you show that you care, they'll love you no matter what. It's not about performance. It's just about effort. That's all they want. That's all they want to see is effort. And a guy like this to not give effort and then to have the comeback, the turnaround. And I said, look, Knicks fans will never trust him fully after last year. But it was the most remarkable turnaround I've seen in any athlete in New York. The fact that he was able to come back and get back in the good graces of Knicks fans, at least most of them. But it was fragile. You were on fragile, fragile terms with the Knicks fans. And now you just broke that entire trust. And then after the game, you have the audacity. You have the balls to say, I guess they just wanted it more than us. I don't know. I see Quentin Grimes fighting through every screen. I see RJ Barrett fighting through every screen. I see Isaiah Hartenstein putting his all out there, diving on the floor for loose balls. I see Jalen Brunson getting beat up, full court, possession after possession after possession, getting attacked on the defensive end and still diving in the lane for layups, going to the basket, taking it strong, never stopping for 48 minutes. So who do they want it more than? They want it more than you. There's one person and you could get upset and you can cry and you could be upset that the fans don't like me. I don't know. You got yourself back in the good graces with the fans and then all of a sudden, for the second time in two weeks, Tom Thibodeau has had to sit his ass down on the bench for an extended period of time because he can't get an effort out of him. He gave two offensive rebounds. I wrote this down because I wanted to remember. 
I mean, I constantly, I was tweeting the whole game, really just dialoguing. And I, I said this a thousand times. I don't hate Julius Randle. That's the craziest part. I don't hate Julius Randle. But it's just every freaking time. I wrote this on Twitter eight minutes into the game. First possession of the game, Randall gets lost. Love gets a layup. Later, Randall pour box out. They get the offensive rebound. It leads to three. Then another bad effort leads to an offensive rebound and a putback. He has an offensive foul, a force jumper with two on him. And then after another ISO, he threw the ball away. The Knicks had seven turnovers in the first half, and half of them were just him standing there. And again, Randall's guy, again, first to the rebound. And so many time, time again. Just the crowd was booing after the first quarter when the Knicks are down 10. And most of that is Randall. And I don't know. It just, it didn't make sense to bring him back in. Because the second Randall comes out of the game, this is so obvious. The second he comes out of the game, Obi Toppin comes in and the team goes off. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I don't understand what's happening. I don't under, like, I can't comprehend it. Is it a load management thing? Are we totally off on this? Is playing 38 minutes a game for 70-something games the entire season, did that just get to him? Is that the problem? Is this a Tibbs issue? I don't understand. I, it just doesn't make sense that, you can't, that you're going to go out there and just not care. And I truly don't expect him to go out there in game six and give a full effort. I, I can't trust him. And Tibbs has to have a quick leash with him again. Here's Julius Randle's 13 career playoff games. 15 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 turnovers on 26% shooting. 15 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 turnovers on 31% shooting. This is all obviously the first year. 14 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 turnovers on 13% shooting. 23 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 turnovers on 37% shooting. Goes on. 23 points, 13 rebounds. It's not even about the numbers. This is the overall numbers. I'll skip through the whole thing. 34% 34% field goal percentage, 27 three-point percentage, 48 assists to 51 turnovers. And it's not even about the stats. That's why I just skipped that whole thing. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the stats. It's so plain and obvious when he just doesn't care and when he's just checked out and not engaged at all. And the crowd's reaction, the crowd is out on him again. And it was that quick. It took game three and four and his comments after game four. The crowd is done with him. And I don't know the path, the way back for Julius Randle at this point. Whatever happens after this series, unless he's diving on the floor and giving a crazy effort and has 40-something points in game six and he's the reason they win, I don't see a way back for Julius Randle with this team ever if they lose in this round. The crowd's reaction every time he got into an ISO in that first quarter, it's not a booing, it's not a groan, it's like an extended moan. It's like, oh, it's just that the sound of, 19,000 people going, stop, shoot it, they're two on you, pass it to someone else. Like Everyone is sick of him when he turns it over, when he's getting lost on defense, and then Obi Toppin comes in the game to start the second, and the Knicks go on an 18-2 run where Obi Toppin does not stop moving. He's instant energy. The alley-oop, running out in transition, diving in for rebounds. He's not the best defender, but he doesn't stop moving on defense. All of a sudden, the Knicks are up-tempo. The whole team, everything looks so different. There's pace. There's movement. And credit to Tom Thibodeau because through multiple stoppages during a nine-minute stretch, Tom Thibodeau stuck with Obi Toppin over Julius Randle. And that nine-minute stretch, the 18-2 run, 
that's some of the most fun I've had in my life being part of that environment, being in the garden for that. Like that was so, so special sitting there and everyone was going nuts. The crowd getting back into it, the way the crowd reacted. And then Julius comes back with three minutes and the crowd starts booing. And the first possession he gave hustle and then he starts hustling a little bit. But even then he starts hustling a little bit more, but he's still not great. Like he's still taking possessions off. After getting booed to come back in, after seeing what Obi did, he's still taking possessions off. I'm sorry. I, game six, there's got to be the shortest lease you've ever, you've ever seen on a guy. I, I don't understand. If we see one or two possessions, Tibbs should have the hook on him. I, I'm not even sure what to do. Julius Randle had a great, great, great third quarter and showed you what he can do. He's knocking down shots. I think it was four or five from the field. He had five assists. He knocks down the three, obviously, to end the first half. That put them up three. But the Knicks are up three at the half, and Julius Randle's a minus nine. What does that tell you? It's just, it was hard to watch. It was unbelievable to watch, really. The Knicks have one of the most special third quarters. That third quarter also, just (laughs) the garden is electric. It's like, oh, my God, we're actually going to win this game. And then it starts to slip down the stretch. And the Mitchell Robinson stuff. They're fouling him, and the crowd starts booing, and they're groaning, and they're like, oh, God, the crowd's getting restless. Miami's cutting it to 10, and then to 9, and then to 7. And Mitchell Robinson's going to the line with these huge free throws. And then just, I don't know how it starts, but something that's so special about the Madison Square Garden crowd, everyone in unison stands up, and everyone's imploring everyone else. Everybody stand up, giving Mitchell Robinson a standing ovation. Like, you got this. Like, almost like we are going to let him, we are going to make him, we are going to help him hit these free throws. He goes three for four at the free throw line for a stretch. And I've never, it's the most electric free throws I've ever seen in my life. The crowd is going wild. After every free throw, they're cheering. They're all yelling, F Spolstra, F you. <laughs> like, your, your plan is backfiring. And just that that environment, it's just so special. There's nothing like it. Again, the 18 to 2 run, the Mitchell Robinson free throws, like moments like that. It's why, of course, I wanted to be at that game. Um, and then they take Mitchell Robinson out, right? They intentionally foul to take Mitch out and bring Hartenstein in until the two minute mark when you're not allowed to intentionally foul anymore away from the basket or away from the ball, I should say. And the place gives Mitch the most, the, just the biggest standing ovation. Uh, it was awesome. And something that I thought was so special, one of the most important possessions was. The Heat cut it to two with about two and a half, three minutes left. And R.J. Barrett, this was such an important possession in the game. R.J. Barrett has the ball with about four seconds. Uh, I forget who the primary defender was on him. But instead of like jab stepping and taking a mid-range jumper, he's like, I'm going to make something happen. He goes to the rim. He's like, I'm going to force something here to force a shot up really. But he makes Jimmy Butler come over as a second defender. Uh, makes him step up. The shot goes off, but Isaiah Hartenstein has a huge offensive rebound and put back at that point in the game to make it a four-point game. The Knicks don't look back. Mitchell Robinson comes back in a couple minutes later, and they close it out. And it's it was just awesome because you had Grimes, Brunson, Obi, Mitch, RJ, those guys contributing, just making it so special. And, and it goes back to something I said, and I want to play this because... Here's something I said, and I've never looked so good in my life, so I'm going to toot my own horn here. This is something I said before when it was rumored the Knicks might trade for Donovan Mitchell. This is before the Donovan Mitchell trade to Cleveland went down. This is something I what I said I wanted to see. It was after the Knicks already signed Jalen Brunson, uh, what I wanted to see in this Knicks team. Uh, listen back. This is old Rami Levy podcast from this past summer. 
if you're a team and I want to use my Knicks as the example because they've been rumored to be connected to Donovan Mitchell for a long time, but also it seems like that is picking up steam. To me, why would you include Emmanuel quickly in that trade? Why would you include Quentin Grimes in that trade? Why would you include RJ Barrett, of course, in that trade? To me, it's like, hey, if they want to trade him, then eventually they're going to get to a point where they need to trade him and they can't wait any longer. But right now, let someone else overpay for him. Does a smart team look at this and say, you know what, if someone else is willing to overpay for him, so be it. We'll wait for the next guy who's going to come in cheap because there will always be a next guy who comes in cheap. And so if I'm the Knicks and I look at this, I'm not rushing to go get a guy who, yeah, he's available. Yeah, he's a great player. But right now we're building. We just got a point guard. We have these young players who are playing in the summer league. We have RJ Barrett. Do you really want to run to give all that away just because this is the first guy that's available at not so cheap? Or do you want to wait till someone's available a little bit cheaper? It's a tough spot to be in. I wouldn't overpay for him. I would definitely not give up RJ Barrett. I'd be hesitant to give up a guy like Emmanuel quickly, to give up a guy like Quentin Grimes, even Deuce McBride. Those are good assets. But the timing is everything. And don't you want to just stay the course if you're the Knicks? Don't you want to see what Emmanuel quickly can be? Don't you want to see what Obi Toppin can be? Don't you want to develop RJ Barrett into a star? Now you have a real point guard who could get the most out of these guys. Yeah, there'll be some growing pains, but you're building something. You're creating a foundation. And ultimately, people will still want to come because they see that you're building something. Ultimately, when someone becomes available that isn't requiring a ton, you're going to still be able to make a move for him. So all that could still happen. But if you rush and you jump the gun and you give away all this young talent and you give away your future assets and you kind of blow your load on what you have right now, then you're done. Then you're out of moves. Then you're playing catch up and it could ultimately reset the franchise for years, especially if you trade a guy potential capability to be a franchise guy like RJ Barrett. I don't want to see the Knicks do that again. What's more valuable in a trade asset right now? All the assets that you put together for Donovan Mitchell or Donovan Mitchell. So when you look at all those assets and what RJ Barrett can become and what Quentin Grimes can become and what Obi Toppin, maybe even him could become, what the future picks could become. Yeah, they're not guaranteed, but at the same time, you're looking at assets and Danny Ainge generally wins when it comes to finding the right assets and who's getting the right assets at the end of the trade. So do I want Donovan Mitchell? You bet I do. 100% I want Donovan Mitchell. As a Knicks fan, to have that guy alongside Brunson, alongside Barrett, for sure. But what's the cost? What's the price? I want to build a champion. I'm okay with watching this team. I enjoyed watching the Summer League team. I'm okay with lowering the expectations and not overreacting to the winning season they had two years ago, to tempering expectations and saying, okay, that happened. Now let's move on. Now let's try and get better. Let's try and build. I'm okay with that. And I hope other Knicks fans are too. That was episode 77 of the Rami Lavie podcast. Crazy. It's, uh, it's been a while since then. Right now, like I said, this was 149. That was on July 15th, what I said about the Knicks potentially trading for Donovan Mitchell. Now that take age like fine wine. I mean, I got to tell you, that's an all-time take by me, um, especially after the Knicks beat Donovan Mitchell in the first round of the playoffs. Has that take ever looked better? They have Jalen Brunson. You have contributions from Obi Toppin, from R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel quickly almost wins sixth man of the year. Like, And Donovan Mitchell folded in that playoff series against the Knicks. Does anyone look smarter than me? Meanwhile, a couple months later, September 2nd, episode 89, I talked about Donovan Mitchell actually getting traded. Not to the Knicks, 
but to Cleveland, I wasn't that upset. I thought there would be a retaliation for Dolan, but that's Dolan of old. Anyway, we don't need to rehash that whole thing. But my point remains, after seeing what happened in this playoff series, I was right. And it starts with Jalen Brunson, because what Jalen Brunson has shown you is he wasn't just a signing to get other guys here. He's the point guard. He's the person of the future for this Knicks franchise. He can carry you in a playoff game, in a playoff series, in multiple playoff series. And the role pieces around him, we saw what Mitchell Robinson did at the end of the Cleveland series, obviously, but what he did in this game. Think about what Obi Toppin, the energy he brought. He almost single-handedly with the energy gets the crowd back into it. Like, I don't know. If that game's played in Miami, the Knicks probably lose because of how impactful the crowd was. The crowd just just dying for something to happen and getting back into it the way they did, starting with Mitchell Robinson, starting with Obi Toppin, rather, in the second half, in the second quarter, and then continuing with Mitchell Robinson in the fourth quarter and his free throws. If that's in Miami, you don't have that Knicks crowd like egging them on, just just let's let let's go, just begging them to do something. But those role players, Quentin Grimes, Mitchell Robinson, Obi Top, and RJ Barrett, none of those guys would be here if you traded for Donovan Mitchell. And to see the growth of this team, it's all worth it. Who knows what the next step is? Who knows what the next free agent available is going to be? There's always someone available. There's always a trade that we never expect. Oh, we never saw that coming. This is crazy. And then out of nowhere, it pops up and it happens. It happens, happens every summer in the NBA. But we have the infrastructure, for infrastructure, I should say, of a championship team because of these guys. And the only question is Julius Randle. Will he be a part of this or will, won't he? Game six will determine that. If he gives another effort, I don't know. You won't have that home crowd to get you back into it with Obi Toppin and everything. It might just be over for Julius Randle one way or another. Like I said, if he has a masterful performance, he could come back from it. And we start seeing the effort again from him, maybe. But I don't know. It might be over for him. But Jalen Brunson, these role players, we haven't even seen Emmanuel quickly because he's been hurt. Maybe it's time. Maybe he comes back and has a special contribution and is the spark they need. Because guess what? I have a little secret for you guys. The Heat aren't that good. The Miami Heat are really not that good. And yes, this may this may be one of my worst takes, and this may turn on me worse than that other take turned out good, but this may bite me in the ass. Yeah, the Miami Heat could blow out the Knicks in game six, and it'll look like, ha, 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 your Knicks suck. Well, no. Our best player decided he didn't feel like it. He didn't want it as much as the Heat in games three and four and most of game five. Sorry, that's not my fault. So maybe that happens again in game six, but maybe... Another piece, another spark off the bench is Emmanuel quickly. And then he come home game seven. They said it best on the TNT broadcast for the Lakers and for the uh, and for the Heat. Game six is game seven for them. The Lakers, the Heat, you have to win game six at home. You don't want to go back on the road after the opposing team, the Warriors and the Knicks just won two in a row. Go to Oracle Arena in California and have to play against the Warriors or what's it called? Chase Center now. Go back to Madison Square Garden and have to play a game seven in that environment? No, you don't want to do that. So if you are, you are the Knicks, or you are the Heat rather, you are the Lakers, you are dying to win game six. And maybe there's a spark in there for the Knicks somewhere. Maybe it's Julius Randle. Because the biggest thing that could happen for the Knicks in this series 
is that Julius Randle all of a sudden turns back into Julius Randle and starts, he decides, hey, you know what? Today, I'm going to give effort. Today, I'm going to show up. All of a sudden, that flips the series. Maybe Emmanuel quickly comes back. But one way or another, this season was a success for the New York Knicks because they didn't trade the entire farm for a superstar who played awful in the playoffs. They kept those role players and turned it into a cohesive unit that together led this team to game six of the second round as far as they've gone in the last 22 years, matching the furthest they've gone and led by an incredible point guard, an all-time acquisition in Jalen Brunson. I couldn't be more proud and more happy of this team. So when I started this podcast talking about the ups and the downs and all the different ways and directions that you could go throughout a sports season, take a moment to be happy and just proud and realize the overall growth, the overall improvement. This is what Giannis meant when he said the crazy comments that he said. The Miami Heat, they don't score for long stretches at a time. It's weird with the Miami Heat. They kind of remind me in a way, this is the flip side of it, they remind me of the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers, right, are the President's Cup trophy winners last year. They get knocked out of the playoffs in the first round. And then this year, they're not that good in the regular season, but then they beat Boston, who was the all-time greatest hockey team in the first round of the playoffs. And I was like, whoa, where did Florida come from? And now they're about to beat Toronto also. Well, not really where did they come from. They were great last year. They just realized, oh, shoot, the regular season, maybe expending all that effort in the regular season doesn't matter if you're going to lose in the playoffs. We got clowned on last year, so we're going to come back this year, and we're going to be better in the playoffs, and then you won't clown on us. The Heat, the same thing, right? They go pretty far last year, but they're the one seed. They're expected to go far this year. They almost get knocked out in a play-in tournament, but once they're back in the playoffs, like, okay, let's do it now. But I still, when I watch them every day, I don't think they're a one seed like they were last year. I don't think they're... It's crazy that they somehow beat Giannis and the Bucks. I mean, they got freaking Mike Budenholzer finally fired because they beat him in five games. It's wild. And I know two and a half of those games, Giannis didn't play in. But it's still crazy. This team goes stretches at a time without scoring. I think they'll be dismantled by Boston next round. Or even Philly if Philly somehow wins game seven, which I don't see happening. But I've been wrong before. But this Knicks team, I don't know find a way find a will I'm not sure but I don't want it to end but it's not the end it's the beginning it's the birth of something new always take advantage of the opportunity in front of you but this could be the beginning of something great who knows who's next to come and speaking of Giannis maybe he's next to come right Brian Winhurst talked about that Brian Winhurst doesn't go on ESPN and say things if he doesn't believe them he goes on ESPN and says the Knicks are monitoring they have one eye on the second round with the Knicks and well, or the second round with the Heat and they have another eye on Giannis Antetokounmpo? What? You're going to say that in the middle of the playoffs when Giannis just got knocked out and has two more years left on his contract? You're going to talk about the Knicks monitoring the situation with Giannis Antetokounmpo? I mean, if there was some sort of trade that obviously the Knicks would have to give up a lot more in, but involved draft picks, Julius, and whatever going back to Milwaukee as they look to rebuild there and Giannis coming to the Knicks, now would be the time you get the most... I'm not saying this is happening and it would feel crazy for this to happen, but it's always the guy who you least expect every, we talk about this every year. Oh my God. Can you believe that guy was traded? It's always shocking in the NBA. So Jalen Brown's the obvious answer because yeah, Jalen Brown seems like he's going to be moved. So he kind of gets crossed off the list. That's like Donovan Mitchell last year. Of course he was getting traded. Who's going to be the guy that's like, Oh my God, I can't believe this team is training that guy. Is it Giannis? By the way, Giannis got a haircut. This is so classic. If it's LeBron, if it's anyone else, we're like, oh my God, this is the worst, but we're all eating it up. We're all like, 
Giannis getting a haircut going back to the rookie season. He doesn't have the spiky hair anymore. He's like, I don't need to be cool anymore. I just I w- just want to go to work. It's like, it's a gesture, but it's a gesture that signifies like, I'm here to work. I'm here to be better. I'm here because it's not about me anymore. It's not about looking cool or being a superstar. It's just about getting down to the nitty gritty and making it happen. I love that. It's classic Giannis. But whether it's Jalen, whether it's Giannis, who knows who the next guy is that's going to be traded. I don't want Carl Anthony Towns or any of those guys from the Knicks, but it's, this is the beginning of something with them. Who knows who that player is going to be? And you hear rumbles like that. You hear whispers like that. I talked about it last year. You didn't want to just trade blindly. This franchise is moving up and on without you, with or without you, Julius. You can either hop on board and get on board. It's not too late. Or you can get off the train right now and see where this franchise goes without you. Quickly, I want to go around the league. Um, I know I've been talking for a while already. And it's late here. I won't even say what time it is right now. But I was shocked when the Sixers won game five. Honestly, shocked. They went into Boston. But nothing can surprise me with this Boston team that just keeps playing with fire. And then they lose game six. The Sixers do. I trust neither team. It's the craziest part. At the end of these games, who do you trust in a close game? Neither team. But yeah, with the Sixers, you have Embiid, you have Harden, you have Doc Rivers, who all have a history of blowing big games late, blowing leads late. How many times did we see this exact situation with James Harden in the playoffs where he has a game six, a chance to close out at home, and he loses the game late with a lead late? Same goes for Doc Rivers. Same goes for Joel Embiid. Yeah, I was shocked. They did it once off before. Can they do it again in Boston in game seven? Maybe. But right now, Boston is seven and a half point favorites at home, and they should be. The Celtics at least made it to the finals last year. So this year, you don't trust them. It's almost like you trust them more when they're down. They blew a 16-point lead in this game. You shouldn't feel great about them after blowing a six-point lead. But they pulled it together. They found a way to win this game. I mean, they should have lost tonight. Right? The Sixers are up two. So the Celtics are down two with four minutes to go. And the Celtics go on a 14-3 run to close out the game. Tatum, who couldn't hit a shot, he was 1-14 of shooting, hits four threes over the course of those four minutes to win the game. It's an unbelievable closeout by the Boston Celtics, something that we haven't seen in a long time. And look, (laughs) you have Colin Coward talking about, because Tatum's been bad in these playoffs for the most part. Offensively, he's disappeared for long stretches of time. And so you have Colin Coward saying... He's he's not that guy. He doesn't have that dog in him. He doesn't have that extra level. He's not like Kobe. He's not like Devin Booker who can close out in these games. And when the times get rough, he doesn't have that killer instinct in him. And then he does this. By the way, this is the guy that last year, at this very time, we're talking about, is he the best? Is he top five in the league? Is he top three in the league? Where do we put him? We're putting him in the Hall of Fame already because he went to the finals and he was the best player throughout the playoffs last year, obviously. So, like, this is the exact same thing I talked about this whole episode. The seesaw, back and forth and back and forth. And so whatever happened most recently, that's what we're saying. Or it's a flow or it's ups and downs and things happen. And that's part of it. So I can't tell you this series epitomizes that the most. Because game one, it's like, oh, how the hell did they win this with James Harden and that epic performance? Then games two and three, Harden stinks and B looks bad. The Sixers are going to roll. Or sorry, the Celtics are going to roll. Game four, you get another wild performance from James Harden. But like, how many more times is that going to happen? Game five, are the Celtics ever going to come back after losing at home the way they did in game five? And then the Sixers are up in game six after the Celtics had a 16-point lead. But, oh, here comes Jason Tatum, who's one of 14 shooting, and he knocks down four threes. 
So I can't tell you honestly that I have any idea what's going to happen in Game 7 in Boston. Yeah, I do trust the Celtics more than I trust the Sixers, but who knows? Really, who knows at this point with this series? I mentioned Devin Booker. Devin Booker was awesome in these playoffs. He truly was. It was special to watch. And it's the same thing. I said, can they keep it up? These two superstars combining for 80 points, but they needed to combine for 80 points every game in order for them to win, and it wasn't sustainable. So, of course, it didn't keep up. Even if Cameron Payne has 30 points, even if Shamit's knocking down threes, it's just not sustainable. And ultimately, the team that epitomizes team and is so great and the way the ball moves and has the best player in the world today, which is Nikola Jokic, ultimately wins. By the way, the way that stuff met with Matt Ishbia played out was awesome. It looked a little rehearsed, but I love that Ishbia said after the game, I respect Nikola Jokic. I don't think he should be suspended. He's probably racist for saying that, obviously, because if it was an African-American player, of course he would have been suspended or fined. I don't actually believe that. I'm making a joke. Um, <clears throat> but that's, you know, that's how it goes now. It's probably, I'm, I'm sure someone on e- went on ESPN with that take. It's just awful. But they, they shove it under the rug. They say that shouldn't be the focus, obviously. And they, they hug it out before the game. Jokic jokingly hands him a ball, all that stuff. It's funny. Um, But look, every single game, like, even think about the Lakers right now, right? The stars, the, so the stars for the Phoenix, they go down. So Denver's moving on to the conference finals. You still have one more series, right, with the Lakers and the Warriors. But what are the Warriors up 3-2 now? If Lonnie Walker doesn't have the craziest game that Lonnie Walker has ever had in his career. Lonnie Walker had every single one but one of the Lakers field goals in the last nine minutes of that game. And that was a, a Reeves field goal. Reeves was the only other guy who had a field goal at that point. So it's all these role players around, and you talked about Shamit, but the same thing with the Lakers. It feels like just a different role player stepping up every night for them. And now Anthony Davis is hurt, and it would be so interesting because I said after they went up 3-1, I was like, oh, wouldn't this be the perfect reverse of the script if now Steph Curry turned the script on LeBron and he came back from down 3-1 against LeBron? And wouldn't the AD injury be perfect? Because if he misses game six, which it sounds like he's going to play in the end, then that's exactly like, uh, obviously, Draymond missing game five or game six in the 2016 finals. So was it all set up? Was it all scripted? And we're still waiting for the LeBron game, right? I just said, all these role players keep coming on. They keep having impressive games. Are we still playing, waiting for the LeBron game? Or do we just have to reevaluate what a LeBron game looks like? Like, maybe LeBron is different. Maybe a LeBron game is 25 points and controlling the offense and seven rebounds or 12 rebounds and seven assists and hitting a big three here and there and weaving his way in and out of the game. Maybe we'll never see a 45-point game again from LeBron. Or maybe this is just another overreaction. Another instance where just the most recent thing that we saw is what we're going to say is the reality when the reality could be entirely different. And that's what these playoffs have taught you in the NBA. Um... If LeBron wins, does he is that like LeBron ending the Warriors dynasty? Like if he does close out this series, especially game six. And then who knows what happens with Draymond this year? If if Clay gets moved, if they try and find a way to trade the pool contract, if they start to rebuild, I don't think Steph's going anywhere, but if like it turns to a rebuild, like that's gonna be like wow, LeBron got the last laugh because he ended the dynasty. Even though this team won before, they won in fifteen. They lost that one year where they had 73 wins. They get KD win twice, but it's like, oh, we didn't even need KD. They win again four years later, which is just crazy. 
how long they've extended this dynasty for. It's like, is it really the last laugh, LeBron? And is either one of these teams really going to beat Denver after what we saw to Denver in this series against Phoenix? I don't know. But um, so game six is uh, tonight, Friday night. That'll be fun either way. Game six for the Knicks, by the way, also Friday night on TNT. And speaking of TNT, um, the TNT crew is awesome. And this is just perfect. This is why I'm in this industry. So I like to talk about media a lot. But I see it every day why some people can do this and some people can't. There's a guy who I work with, and I won't say his name, but he's on um, a certain program, TV program I work with. And he's so ingenuine. He can never pull this off because if you're having a conversation with him in the hallway, he's not genuine enough to pull this off. Like the, the TNT, they the, there's nothing that's off limits. Like not only is there nothing off limits, they build segments. Like So basically, if you missed it, TMZ put out these pictures of um, Kenny Smith on his day off in Miami with a girl with some sort of Instagram model or model of some sort of swimsuit model of some sorts who's not uh, he's not married to he's he's been divorced for a couple of years actually um, and so instead of so TNT obviously knows that these are going around that these pictures have been everywhere on the internet it's one that he's trending Kenny Smith and it's not for the show so instead of ignoring it like most of these networks would do or instead of just throwing comments at him like you'd expect TNT to do, they turned it into an entire segment and they used the pictures over and over again. They just didn't. They took the girl out of the pictures, I guess, out of respect and because it's a children's program, I guess somewhat. But <laughs> they did uh, pictures from the weekend segment for everyone on the TNT crew. They had Ernie Johnson with his grandchildren. They had Charles Barkley with his grandchildren. They didn't have any pictures of Shaq. They're like, any other pictures of the weekend you wanted to share? Like, they turned it into a segment. Instead of just, like, making jokes at him that maybe some people would get and maybe some wouldn't. They're like, Kenny, how about you? What was your weekend like? They all went around. Share. It's why it's so genuine. They come up with this stuff. They make it funny. And they're just taking little jabs. He tries to rope Shaq. He's like, well, I was actually, I was with Shaq. And Shaq's like, no, 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 you're not roping me into this. Um, that's just, like, stuff that it's just perfect TV. They, they, they do it so well and um it's so much i've been like during the playoffs i've had so much fun because they're on a lot more nights than usual obviously tonight on a thursday night they weren't on and tonight uh friday night also it's the games aren't espn i just said tnt before but i'm glad i did because it was a good segue and you believed me but if you're looking for the games tonight you won't find them on tnt you'll find them on espn um but just that stuff like there's like they're not even pulling the curtain back at that point. There just is no curtain. You're just in on everything. Um, it's just so cool. It's so perfect. Those three guys, the chemistry they obviously have, and the conductor being Ernie Johnson is just awesome. Um, I also did want to say this because I mentioned I would say this. So, and this is like at this point, I'm just reading through my notes. So I'm sorry if those the like I don't know. It's late. It's like three o'clock in the morning right now on Thursday night. Um, I worked a full week. It was fun. I. I try and think of things to talk about like while I'm working to talk more about my work because it is cool. Like today I was hanging out with Harold Reynolds and we were talking about something. I don't even remember, but he points out my cap. Um, Matt Vaskersian, who's the voice of uh, MLB on Peacock. He's called a bunch of playoff games, obviously. One of my favorite home runs, the Greg Bird home run he called. He also, um, he's the voice of MLB The Show. So every time I talk to him, I feel like I'm in a video game. But the other day I passed by him in the hallway because I was doing a game on Peacock on Sunday and he goes, yeah, the new wall in, in, in Toronto looks like crooked teeth out there. 
And I said to, I saw him in the hallway two days later. I'm like, dude, crooked teeth. I was like, that, that was really funny. It was a good line. And he started laughing and we're just hanging. I'm like, my dad's an orthodontist. So that kind of hit home. And we were like, it's just, there are so many cool stories. I just don't know what people find to be cool. People always seem to be interested in my work. So I probably should share more stuff on this podcast. Um, Sometimes I feel like I'm too rigid and scripted. And, but again, I'm taught, I want to talk about the sports I want to talk about. I don't have a six hour radio show. I do about, you know, three hours of talking a week on here. Um, I kind of want to talk about my sports points. And it's weird when you don't have a co-host. These conversations can't just come up naturally, although I could talk to myself for hours. Like I, as you hear, um, everything reminds me of something. So I'm just, you know, rambling on. <laughs> but it's funny that I'm doing this at the end of the episode. I hope if you made it to this point in the episode, just shoot me a text or a DM because like it's cool. <laughs> like I, this is the part like... I can't get myself into this mode, but this is the mode of the podcast that I like the most when it feels like I'm just talking to a friend and just having a casual conversation um, because that's what I feel like the whole thing is supposed to be about, but I also kind of do want to make my sports points because I think that's like also part of it. So it's a balance. Um, but the thing I wrote down in my notes was uh, I want to talk about the MVP because the last or tonight really just, but the last few games have shown me exactly why Nikola Jokic is by far the MVP over Joel Embiid. And if it weren't for the media backlash two months before the season ended, and the fact that Embiid almost was like, or not Embiid, but Jokic was like, I'm going to back off because I don't want people calling me a racist, so I'm just going to not play my hardest the last couple of months of the season, and I don't need this MVP. Take it, Embiid. Go cry and go celebrate with your teammates before you double get double teamed and can't hit a single shot and can't do anything down the stretch of a playoff game and have a 14 to 3 run against you in the final four minutes of a playoff game while i show you how to beat two all-time great scorers by 30 points because everything runs through me and i'm unstoppable and indefensible and i do everything right because i'm the best player in the world and you can't stop me and i'm the definition of mvp so I'm not going to revisit the MVP because I know it's the most valuable player and it's a regular season award and it doesn't matter. It's stupid and it's narrative based. And it's because Jokic won two in a row that he wasn't going to win the third. LeBron didn't do it. Jokic didn't, uh, Giannis didn't do it. Michael Jordan didn't do it. Nobody did it because it's a narrative thing. And so it was never going to happen. But the best player in the league by far, don't change the award, but just know the truth is revealing itself right now. And it's very obvious. Um, that's funny. I just got a notification. Bill Simmons called the Tatum no, 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 yes game. <laughs> I love that. Obviously, that's a. it's also a reference to the J.R. Smith song. It's. I don't think he's referencing it, but the way I said it was a reference to the J.R. Smith song. So I'm not going to look. I don't want to be that guy, the classic TV show that comes on. Did we quite ESPN that was clamoring for MB to win it for two months is now going to be like, did we give it to the wrong guy next on ESPN? That's my Mike Greenberg imitation. Yeah, you gave it to the wrong guy. You, you were always going to give it to the wrong guy because you were the ones who yelled and screamed that you have to give it to that guy who was obvious, so obviously the wrong guy. Um, so that's that point. And when I talked about Brunson, I was like, this is the only guy he's underpaid. Is, he's the, is he the best player? And this Alan Hahn said this. I don't think Alan Hahn meant it this way. He said, is he the best player to not be an all-star or on any of the three all-NBA teams this year? Well, he wasn't an all-star. He was hurt a little bit at the beginning of the year, and you, there was no one really to replace him with. It was him or Julius was going to make it, right? And Julius had the better statistical season at that point. And here are the guards that made it onto the All-NBA team this year. Luca, SGA, Steph, Donovan Mitchell, Fox, and Damian Lillard. Luca, 
was awesome. SGA could have been an MVP finalist, right? I think he was an MVP finalist with what he did, with the fact that he got that team as far as they did. Like, with no one around him, he had an all-time great season. Stephen Curry is Stephen Curry. Donovan Mitchell, for all the... I'm going to keep this clean. For all the crap that we gave Cleveland and Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs... Wow, that was a quick catch myself. But for all the garbage we give Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs in the playoffs, right? What he did in the regular season, how he carried that team was special. That team was really fun to watch and really good. De'Aaron Fox was... I mean, we saw it in the playoffs. That guy is one of the superstars and finally had that breakthrough season. And Dame Lillard at 33 or 34 years old had one of the most special seasons. And especially the way he closed out the season in the second half was super cool. So you're really going to put Brunson ahead of one of those guys? Again, it's a regular season award. That doesn't mean that Brunson's not more important to the Knicks than any of those guys are to their team. Maybe Steph Curry aside, right? But yeah, what he's done in these playoffs are special, but we can't go back and rehash everything. And I don't think Alan Hahn was trying to do that. But the point is, when we go back and try and rehash these awards, it... It doesn't go well. It's easy to say now, but people are like, how did Donovan Mitchell not make an all-star? Well, here's how. It's a very simple explanation now, but it doesn't take away from anything he's doing now. And the same thing for Nikola Jokic. Here's why Nikola Jokic was second team All-NBA and why he was not the MVP. But guess what? He still is the best player. He still is the most valuable player. There was just a bunch of circumstances that made him not that. Anyone want to talk about the NFL schedule release? That happened Thursday night. Although the Jets' entire schedule was released Thursday morning, thanks to the New York Post. Um, but it just shows you that the NFL is king. Just in the middle of the season, they created content. In the middle of the NBA playoffs, in the middle of the NHL playoffs, which are fascinating. And I learned I'm actually not allowed to talk about. That was a fun conversation to have with my bosses. Like, hey, um, you're talking about hockey on your podcast. I'm like, thanks for listening, guys. And they're like, um, no, you're not allowed to. I was like, oh, I thought only baseball is not allowed like no 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 you're not allowed to talk about hockey either i'm like okay cool but again thanks for listening guys i appreciate it and i said no i think we pretty much just read the title and saw that you mentioned the rangers playoffs in there and that's why uh we figured you did talk about it i was like titles can be misleading you might want to listen to it trying begging my bosses to listen to my podcast um they might be stalking me. They might be looking at my stuff online. Another one of my bosses was like, hey, how was the game last night? Did you enjoy it? I was like, yeah, of course. The game was awesome. Who knows if they're listening right now? Maybe they are. Shout out. Hi, guys. Um, appreciate the, you listening. Appreciate everyone listening. Um, but the NFL is king. They continue to be king. I mean, amidst all the playoffs on ESPN, Joe Buck was joined by, or I guess Joe Buck joined Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter to talk about the schedule release. Like, what other sport has that? content is king right and they just create content out of nothing they did a a schedule release release show like what it's wild you have guys sitting in a room on on every radio station in america going win win loss win six months ahead of the season before they know what kind of injuries what kind of trades anything that's going to happen who's going to get hot who's going to be the team that comes out of nowhere who's going to be the team that all of a sudden falls off they don't know any of that stuff and they're talking about football because football is awesome but um the Jets do have six primetime games. They are as follows. Week one, Buffalo, Monday night football. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, week four, Sunday night football against Kansas City at home. Week nine is the Chargers. That's Monday night football at home. Also, then the following week, there's Sunday night football. So another short week um, in Las Vegas. And then they have the Friday game, which is Black Friday against Miami week 12 at home. And then at Cleveland, Thursday night football, week 17, the second to last week of the season. So the Jets, 
I mean, right out of the gate, they're going to be milking this Aaron Rodgers thing. They have uh, the Bills, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Broncos, and then the Eagles before heading to the bye weeks. So the first, if the Jets are three and three after three weeks of the season, that would be like some kind of miracle. Um, so not easy for the Jets, but obviously the schedule makers are milking it, but they're milking it really well. And I was talking about this to a couple of friends. Like, I don't even want to go to opening week. Opening week is 9-11, New York City, Monday Night Football. And not only that, like, the reason I don't want to go is because my whole life, like Aaron Rodgers being an Aaron Rodgers stand, my whole life is watching Aaron Rodgers with Joe and Buck, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call. And his first game as a Jet is going to have Joe and Troy on the call? Like, are you kidding me? So Buck on the call, Aaron Rodgers is a Jet, 9-11 in New York City on Monday Night Football. And oh, it's a division rivalry with the Bills who have DeMar Hamlin, who the last time he played a football game was on a Monday Night Football with Joe and Troy on the call also. And hopefully he'll be coming back in this game. I don't know if he'll play, but he'll definitely do something. And that just like, think about how many things I just mentioned and how awesome. This is why the NFL is awesome. Because they think about all of that, the storylines. So I'm going to sit at home. I'm not going to be in my season tickets. I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to watch with Joe and Troy on the call watching Monday Night Football and those guys who are just the best to do it and Aaron Rodgers as a Jet. Like, And the craziest part is every time they show like these promos with with for the Jets, it's pictures and videos of Rod. Yeah, I'm losing my mind. Um, it's awesome. It's a dream. Um, and I can't wait for football season. But until then, we still have the Knicks at least for one more game. If they lose, it's going to be tough. No baseball. I'm not allowed to talk about hockey, I found out. I might. Who knows what I'm going to talk to you guys about. There's some fun TV shows I like. There's movies. Um, summer plans. My work. I'll talk more about my career, everything that's going on with that. Um, a lot to get to, guys. A lot to talk about. I enjoy doing this. So whether this is the last run for the Knicks or not, stick with me. I'll be here all summer. I'll talk NBA playoffs, and then we'll find other stuff to hang out about, send a voicemail, and... I really, I mean it when I say it, I appreciate each and every one of you listening. Um, every time someone says, hey, it's so cool what you do, you're chasing your dream, like it, it means the world to me. It's actually what keeps me going because there are times that, and we all have this, but there are times that there are doubts and um, when people say kind things to me that uh, make me feel have, like I have less doubts and make me feel not that way. So uh, if it weren't for you guys, I wouldn't be doing this. So I really, really appreciate each and every one of you and we until we talk next hopefully it's positive and the Knicks are moving on we're going to a game seven who knows uh, but until then I'll talk to you guys later love you all bye you were the best nights of my life you got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high when you take me to your eyes like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York
Wanna drop down riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go oh, 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 I change it up oh, oh, Always on my own I'm still New York You're the only home That I'll ever know My concrete walls I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised I was God sent to hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest, yeah Said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do, though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding And I'm still New York I'm still here.